This is Inspiring Design, where unique innovators come together to share their knowledge, share their insight, and keep us up to date with the latest industry trends. And here's your host, Rashan Senanayak. What's up, listeners? Welcome to Inspiring Design with Roshan Sandanarika. This is where the best of the best brands, thought leaders, experts, and change makers come together to share their valuable insights, learnings, and experience. Our goal here is to be the missing link between education, design, and the industry. We're here to talk about one of the most important topics of today the importance of creativity and innovation in education. It's one of the most global issues at the moment where a lot of change is taking place. So let's get straight into it and introduce our guest for today. He is one of the biggest inspirations to come out of Australia and actually a personal favorite of mine. He has consistently shared the stage with Richard Branson, Tony Robbins, Gary Vaynerchuk, Grant Cardone, Harry Den, and the list goes on. He's one of the most sought-after speakers in the world. Not to mention the fact that he has been featured on Sky Business News, Mo The Motley Show, William Shatner, Fox, ABC, NBC, the list goes on. On top of all this, he founded Reliable Education to be the top Amazon education program in the world. If you haven't guessed already who I'm about to bring on, yes, it's none other than Adam Hudson, the most annoying guy on YouTube. Welcome to the show, mate. Thank you, Rashad. Lovely to be here. That is a great intro. I love that. <laughs> That's how a lot of people know me as the most annoying guy on YouTube. At least Absolutely. In I'm not going to lie. It's exactly how I actually came across seeing your ads for the first time. <laughs> Just two days ago, you were on my phone again. So. We spent a lot of money to annoy people there. Yeah, I can imagine. But... Um, Mate, you've created an absolute beauty of a legacy here in Australia and now on a global scale. Can you share a little bit about what's the Adam Hudson story been so far? Yeah, so um, I'm a local Queensland boy um, and, uh, you know, I guess from a very young age, I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And as a kid, we're talking about education today. Nobody sat me down and explained this is what an entrepreneur is and what they do. If somebody had told me that in school and offered it as a subject, I would have been all in because I just wasn't a good fit for normal education. So uh, I finished grade 12, went straight to work in a one-hour photo shop um, in the outskirts of Brisbane, a place called Browns Plains, and uh, ran pizzas at night for Domino's. And then a friend of mine uh, in the church that I was at uh, sort of said, this kid seems ambitious and tried to recruit me into Amway. And what was great about the Amway experience was that they got me reading personal development books. Yeah. And so I got a copy of David or Douglas Schwartz's book, The Magic of Thinking Big. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I sort of started from there, discovered Tony Robbins and yeah. uh, never thought one day I might actually get to meet the guy and, and speak with him. So that's that's my journey. I've been an entrepreneur. I, I, I haven't had a job since I was 22 um, and I'm now 45. So coming up to 46. How did you actually, was it, was it self-awareness that made you understand those skills within yourself? Uh, look, I, I think for me, uh, you know, it's funny. I was at a Tony Robbins event and uh, in Sydney very early on. When in I, the audience, I'm assuming. not In the audience. No, no, no. <laughs> just in the audience with everyone else jumping up and down, losing my mind. But, uh, you know, we did these exercises to find out what was driving us. And 
I was at the time probably 25 or 26 years old. And, um, and I realized through this exercise that my big motivating factor to, to, to do well had been to prove my dad wrong. And uh, I realized then and there that was a pretty, not that my dad was a negative person in that way. He didn't sort of crush my dreams. I just remember having a stand-up fight with him when I was like 15 or 16. So if you don't like it, then you yeah. get out and fend for yourself which I did soon after, yeah. um, I was like, I'm going to prove to him that I can, you know, do it. And then I realized that was a pretty negative motivation. So that was actually what drove me early on. Wow. There you go. That's, I love these stories and seeing how people, everyday people come up from local areas and, and share the stage with literally the best of the best people. So it's incredible. Yeah. And, um, and we're sitting here in the lovely home of Adam Hudson in the Gold Coast in the Hope Island. And if you can see the background, it's actually absolutely stunning. Coming from an architectural background, this space is simply incredible. And, but let's get on to education yeah. and creativity and innovation. Firstly, I think for the listeners, I'd like to understand your definition of these words. Firstly, what does education mean to you in, the, in a word of itself? Uh, learning. I think it's, it's, it's learning uh, about life and learning uh, how you interplay with life and what your strengths are and so on. So I think... That's it for me in a nutshell, just learning and uh, growing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And obviously when, you're found, when you founded a reliable education, that's about teaching others. Yeah. Do you think that every, every, every person can have the skills towards teaching someone to knowledge transfer to another human being? Look, I think, I, I think there are some limits, um, you know, in terms of there are certain things that require a certain cognitive capacity or um, bandwidth. Yeah. And um, some people just seem to have more bandwidth than others. Like, I don't know how I'd go being a neurosurgeon or trying to take in the enormous course load of a, uh, to become a, a barrister, for example. So I think it's important that we sort of have a sense of uh, who we are and, and what our strengths are. Um, one of the reasons I teach what I teach is because I think it can be taught to a broad range of people. And largely what I teach now is creativity. Yeah. And I think most people have a creative side. It's under-expressed uh, and rarely rewarded in a modern world. But I think the world's changing. And I think creativity is now becoming central to, um, to being successful in business. So I think in, in many cases, desire will get you a long way. But to be the best in, at something, you've really also got to, I think, uh, enjoy it and, and have a, an aptitude towards it. Absolutely. And I think that's... Coming from design thinking as a background, that's exactly the same thought that I share as well. Now, you mentioned the word creativity and the importance of it looking at success in business and even in education. What is creativity? <laughs> well, for me, I think it's innovation. It's original thought. Is innovation a result of creativity, do you think? Yes, that's probably well put. Um, yeah. uh, you know... My friend Seth Godin, he, he runs a program called Alt-MBA, which is Alternative MBA, and it's, it's a terrific yeah. program by all accounts, and Seth's an amazing human being. But Seth sort of puts it this way, the, the world and the education, and this is not, I know a lot of educators watch your show and listen to it. This is in no way, and nothing I'm going to say here is to, uh, in, no, insult, because the, that they're doing amazing work, and they're raising kids for people, you know, and, um, but in a lot of ways, I don't think the modern education system's keeping up with the world as it's changing. And I think um, the current education system is producing cogs, as these assess words, cogs in a world that doesn't need any more cogs. 
Uh, what we need is people to solve problems. Absolutely. And I think it's that it's that transition. And I think a lot of educators listening to today will agree with you because they want to be able to produce and set up their kids on a successful pathway to succeed in the next 5, 10, 20 years time. And it's just that education industry that we've been used to for industry three, which was the industrial revolution, you know, where we wanted factory workers to follow orders and so on. And in a, in a very, very simple sense. But we're looking at industry four where there might not be jobs that are available today in five years time. And we don't even know what the jobs will be in five years yeah. time. So it's that's the biggest battle that a lot of teachers and educators are trying to overcome. Mm -hmm. And um, like you said, creativity comes into it. But how do you measure creativity? Do you have ideas on how that can be implemented into the education system today? Yeah, well, I think um, one of the first things that all educators need to teach kids in particular to overcome is their fear of being wrong mm -hmm. and failing yeah. um, because no great breakthroughs are made by playing safe, right? Absolutely. And a lot of times in talking to parents, we're releasing a kid's course ourselves shortly and we spoke to a lot of parents and teachers and they said um, that the first step is to getting kids to lose their fear of being wrong. I'm fortunate to have a business partner, Joe, who's a terrific guy, and he will come up with 20 ideas. Now, of those 20 ideas, five will be something we laugh about for months. <laughs> yeah. Five are amazing. Yeah. Five are really good that with me or somebody else who he trusts involved can bring it to an amazing idea. Mm -hmm. And the others are just okay. And Joe, what I love about him is he's not afraid to look stupid on those five ideas that we're going to tease him about for a yeah. while um, because he knows that there's another five ideas that will change the company. Yeah. And so you need to be surrounded by people who understand the fragility of ideas and the, uh, the, the sacred um, process of uh, and being able to hold the space for ideas. Um, I know the band Aerosmith um, had meetings once a week for where people just put through ideas where there was no stupid ideas. How do we entertain people in a different way? And I think, I think it's becoming more and more central to the way business leaders are thinking. Um, but I think step one, create the space and make it okay to fail. Realize that it's, it's a creative process. Um, and I think getting kids to realize that uh, it is in connecting dots that others aren't connecting mm -hmm. that um, opportunity lies and and setting exercises for them to um, to co start connecting dots that others aren't seeing. And I think if they can do that and start to get kids to think instead of remember, um, then uh, I think we're onto something. Absolutely. And I think that's where standardized testing has some limit limitations because someone is prescribing what's required and what the right or wrong answers may be. It's not an organic process. And uh, listening to your few sentences ago, what you mentioned in coming up with 20 ideas and five might be horrible and it might boil down to one or two incredible ideas that just absolutely changes things. That's essentially ideation. And ideation in, if you look at how a designer, everyday designer, whether they're industrial or graphics or architectural, would do would be that. Whoever the client gives them a brief or the problem or the challenge in itself and they'll come up with 20 ideas. Some may be good, some may be not. That's great. And I'm very happy to hear, obviously, from a person of your caliber to show that those transferable skills being relevant in the business industry as well. 
Yeah, there needs to be a narrative in business around the process of ideation. Yeah. And there needs to be time and space allocated in the the day of a business yeah. for people to innovate and be rewarded for innovation. And because um, that is the only way to create um, advantage over your competitors. So, so I, I love that. I, when I was at school, there was just no narrative about this is how how great companies become great. Yeah. Yeah. And to 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 sit down and and explain like Steve Jobs said well you know to his engineers i want a phone with no buttons on it so like at the time think about that that's an extreme request and tony robbins says you know the quality of your life is going to be determined by the quality of the questions that you're asking so getting kids to be aware firstly that they are asking questions constantly and answering them and your brain that's how your brain works your mind so when you can intervene in that process and start directing the questions instead of driving to work and saying, why is it always so busy? Why is it always, why does that guy turn left? Why does that guy turn around? Why doesn't he, all those questions are just automatic to keep the brain occupied, but they're not leading to anywhere great. Whereas if you can ask a better question like, what is the best podcast I could listen to for the next 30 minutes while I'm in the traffic? I know the answer to you that. You know you do, I bet. Um, <laughs> All of a sudden, you've transformed the direction of your life yeah. by intervening in the question-asking process. So, yeah, interesting. And I think what you mentioned there, the, the important thing is to make your students feel comfortable to be able to ask those questions. And if they feel like they're not going to get judged or if they're not going to be told that they're wrong for saying something like your business partner is stupid, if it won't be an environment where all ideas are accepted, then they're more likely to do that. And it's about facilitating those environments so they can ask those questions. And and be encouraged to and perhaps even rewarded for failing. And in our society, people are not rewarded for failure. And the one I've lived overseas, as you know, in the US, and the one piece of Australian culture that I don't like is we punish people for failure. We hang it over their heads. We put them on a current affair. We, we, you know, we, we, yeah. we brutalize failure yeah. and uh, it should be celebrated. And uh, the media loves nothing better than a car crash. Um, now, if somebody is intentionally doing something bad, fine, have at it, right? But most failures are, are grounded in good intent, right? People are trying to do their best. So I always acknowledge people when they fail. I love it. If somebody's failed, I'm like, great awesome that means that you know what failure is i don't trust people who haven't failed and they're trying yeah if people haven't failed it means they haven't done anything to me (laughs) and therefore they have any experience well i don't i don't want somebody saying you're the best person in the world when i'm the only person they've ever met (laughs) have some experience right so failure to me equals experience and i start from the premise that most people are good so I think at schools, they need to actually incentivize and reward and recognize risk-taking yeah. around thinking. Well, this is very interesting because I've, I've recently had some conversations with some private schools that are doing some incredible work and actually local here in the Gold Coast. And they, one of their core values in the school across all year levels, doesn't matter what subject they're doing, is fail forward. Perfect. Now, now, failing is one thing. I feel like fail forward is a slightly different perception value of that same, um, I think, connotation of what failure entails. What are your thoughts on failing forward as opposed to just failure? Yeah, so I think it's about uh, taking control of the narrative, right? So uh, just this morning on my on my Instagram, I do a, a live once a day, 
but I, 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 I literally said to people, get past the fact that it's all about you, right? When you, when you start a business, right, you, you jump out of an airplane into a, a, a war, right? So you're jumping out the back, you've been in the plane preparing your parachute, which is your product or your service, and then you go, so sooner or later, if you're lucky, you've got a mentor or a coach or somebody who kicks you out. Most people don't jump out of the plane. They just go up for the skydive and land yeah. in the plane again, right? By going to the events and reading the books, but they never actually jump out of the plane. If you jump out of the plane, you parachute into this war zone and all of a sudden you're on the ground and there are live bullets around you, right? They're the other competitors that are in that space that you have chosen. Um, now, you've got to be certain that the gun you packed works, right? Now, sometimes because of inexperience, it doesn't work. You end up getting shot, yeah. right? Um, but then you go, okay, the good thing is this war is not deadly, right? The good news is this is rubber bullets, this is paintball. You go back and say, geez, that, that, that disguise of the gun didn't work or I didn't see that or that or that. And next time you jump out of the plane, you've got a better gun, you've got a better disguise and you've got better lay of the land. And then sooner or later, if you keep jumping out of the planes, you'll end up going in and parachuting. You'll notice all the other people you're fighting against have just jumped out of the plane for the first time and you start winning. So, you know, you've just, that fail forward just means don't take it so personally. There's almost nobody that succeeds. Yeah, it, don't don't release yourself of the um, uh, responsibility. But Mark Zuckerberg's a freak. You know, there's not many Mark Zuckerbergs in the world that start their first business and become a multi-billionaire. That's that's what the media loves to showcase because it's an amazing story. But for most of us, we've been shot every which way. We've got scars and bullet wounds. And, you know, and people go, oh, you've become successful. I've been doing this for 25 years. The last five years I've become successful and managed to keep my success, but I got shot and stabbed and everything for 20 years preceding that. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's it's cultivating that men, uh, mentality that, and I think the biggest challenge is we are a result of everything that has led up until this point. Yes. The, the conversations, the people, the countries we live in, the perceptions, the questions we ask, all of those things. So this is the responsibility and the power of, I think, a school and a university is because they're shaping that mentality, that um, personality almost of the future leaders, future innovators. And we use that term almost loosely because, let's face it, there's going to be a thousand kids. Not everyone is going to be an innovator. Not everyone is going to be a leader. So it's it's making sure that we progress our civilization into that next level by facilitating that now i think the the thing that mentioned that almost triggered the thought to reach out to your yourself was when you were speaking on stage with richard branson and he's an incredible thought leader literally one of the best of the best in the world and you mentioned that in australia we need to be able to teach these skill sets to allow australians to be more competitive on a global stage and it was creativity and innovation. What do you think is the impact of not using these skill sets within the schools as a country, looking at a global global context? I'm not a parent, but I have an, a niece and five nephews, and I have many close friends with kids. And we live in this amazing country, right? I mean, look outside here. It's, <laughs> there's, there's people all over the world that would literally beg, borrow and steal and probably worse to have what we're experiencing right now, having a beautiful home. And it's not just where we are, it's we have clean water, we have clean air, we don't have that many people in our country. Um, it's safe, you know, we've got great hospitals. So um, I think it's waking up every day, first of all, and remembering that we are the envy of the world, right? 
uh, in so, so many ways. There are literally billions of little kids in India and China, or maybe hundreds of millions, that are waking up today with parents that are driving them and saying, you can have a better life than we've had. Like all parents around the world want their kids to have better than they've had. The difference is we now live in a world that's flat. We live in a world where Elon Musk is going to wire the entire planet with free Wi-Fi from space. And it's not cyber talk anymore. It's happening. So these kids are now going to have in the order of hundreds of millions access to knowledge at a, at a price they can afford and they have massive hunger, much hungrier than our kids in Australia will be. And it's not that our kids are fundamentally lazy, it's that our kids are fundamentally affected by the wealth and the, I mean, and it is, let's call it for what it is. It is extreme wealth in Australia. So I'm deeply worried that if our kids don't realize that there is hundreds of millions of kids who want what they have in a globalized workforce, like I have a piece of real estate here on the Gold Coast and I needed to get some work done by an engineer to see how much I wanted to use it for storage of caravans and other things. It's a, a commercial piece of land. And I got quotes to do what seemed like a relatively simple job for me from some local firms and they ranged from ten to 15000 for the work. And I went on to Upwork and ended up getting a guy in Pakistan to do it. And the local firms, and he got aerial maps off Google. Um, uh, he got he accessed all the same information that the local firm had done. The local firm was quoting me four to five weeks. He had it done in 48 hours and charged me $300. $300 uh, to get the same plans ending up in council. And I, I didn't trust it. So I went and hired another guy and both of them were educated in Australia, but living over there. And um, so they came here, got schooled, same degree as the people who are going to do it for me. The difference was a factor of, I don't know what that is, 50 times cheaper. Um, so that's disruption. And and we're, that's the world our kids are moving into. They're not just going to be talking to, like what I teach at Amazon, our student. It's, it's a miracle. They're out alchemizing products being sold in America. They live in Australia. They're selling in America where they may have never been to customers they'll never meet. They're sourcing from factories that don't even speak their language in a country they've probably never been to. And they're getting paid in US dollars and they don't even touch the product anymore. When I was a kid, I was on a BMX bike riding around the suburbs throwing newspapers out, getting sweeped by Maggie's and chased by dogs. That's how you made money. Kids today, there's a kid only just five minutes from where we're sitting right now doing 25,000 US dollars a month right now and he's 12. Um, while he's at school at TSS here in Southport, who's a student of ours. So... Um, can you imagine that? Can you imagine making $25,000 a month when you're 12 and you're still at school? That's US dollars. I'm talking over 30 grand a month. It's, it's nearly 400,000 Australian dollars a year in sales. Margin's about 20%. He's 12. I think it's 25%, 12. I was in Sri Lanka when I was 12. Right. This kid's, I said, what's your motivation? He said, I want to make more at school while I'm being taught than my teachers are making teaching me. And he's doing it. And he's 12. So... It just blows my mind, the world that we are skating into now. And, um, uh, you know, I, I worry about Aussie kids from that standpoint. We need to teach them. I interviewed Ida Buttros um, recently, and she said, we've gotten too rich um, in Australia. And uh, she's a chairwoman of the ABC today and a terrific human being, like so smart and such a class act. But she's right. And uh, we need to keep that hunger. And, and not, it's not a racism thing. It's just 
we need to remain hungry. Absolutely. And I think it's, this is something that um, a lot of international students, they have that point of view. When they come here, they're obviously coming from that same mentality. They want a better education. They, they're coming to this country to elevate themselves above pretty much everyone else in that country. And the way they work... And while they're working, while they're studying, they might have to hold two jobs while they're doing a full study course. They have to fend for themselves, live by themselves, do everything that local students sometimes don't have to do because they're living with their parents. It's privilege. And they've been lucky enough. And it's actually to their detriment because they lose that hunger, like you said. And in the long run, though, it builds resilience for those students that have done the hard yards. And this is a... this is. One of the it's there's a long term issue that I can see is if this current progression um, follows through in the next five, 10, 20 years time, Australia can innovate. We can think because we have that the resources, we're a rich country that can produce that. But we're not utilizing the uniqueness that we have in the global society, which means we're even right now, we're actually shipping off to other countries to deliver on ideas that sometimes is produced in Australia. Mm-hmm. Whereas if it's actually been produced in Australia, if it's been housed here and we're delivering it to the rest of the world, the impact that has on the economy is much further and much better for the economy of Australia compared to giving it to the rest of the world. So this is the biggest problem that I think we're trying to solve at the moment as well. And Leanne Kemp, which is the Queens, uh, Queensland's chief entrepreneur, she her everyday job is immersing herself on the same thing. It's a challenge. Look, we need strong leadership in this country, but unfortunately, this is one of the hardest countries in the world to be a leader. Absolutely. You know, and the reason I say that is because we have absolutely no respect for politicians. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I sat with John Howard and we had John Howard speak at our event and I visited him in Sydney at his offices. And, you know, he's an, the last of the statesmen in my view. But geez, you've got to have such fortitude to withstand the barrage of disrespect that we show our politicians in this country. And it's charming on one level, but it's also um, causing a lot of good people to go, why would I do that? Why, why wouldn't I just stay in the private sector and get rich? You know, uh, because Australians are just... The one thing when I was living in America and I learned a lot, I deepened my love of Australia massively by living in the US. Uh, and But one thing I do like about Americans is they respect the office of their president. Um, and uh, sure, there's exceptions and the media will highlight their exceptions, but even if they're from the other side of the aisle, there is still a degree of respect that goes with the fact that he or she is the current sitting president. Australians will throw shoes at the prime minister and call them this and that. And as I said, there's a balance. It's charming, but it's also we've got to... If we want better leadership, we've got to, you know, enter into uh, debate a little differently, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Going back into education. Now, to me, education can be in a formal setting like a high school or even a university or even through reliable education or a professional development course, even a book. At the end of the day, it's, it's, it's about learning. It's a lifelong process. And since you are also in education and you constantly are upskilling people, showing them a knowledge and showing them information that hasn't been in their view until they go through that, if you had to design, this is a bit of a difficult question, I feel like, if you had to come up with an ideal school today, 
what does that school look like? Do you think they would have tests? Do you think they would have teachers or trainers or facilitators, whatever that label looks like? What should that model look like in your eyes, do you think? Well, it's interesting. I, I was very privileged to um, spend some time with a lady called Valerie who started a school here called Silkwood. Uh, if you haven't heard of it, look it up. It's almost impossible to get your child into. There's a waiting list for, as I understand it, years to try and get in there. And it's an open learning type of environment. Half of the classes are sitting out in the environment, like underneath trees. And it sounds hippie, but it's not as hippie as it sounds. Um, And they're helping kids to discover what their interests are. And it's a fully, um, you know, certified um, school. It's not like some commune. and they're, they're just basically helping kids to encourage kids to find out what they're drawn to, what their strong points are, and teaching kids that um, there are some basics, right? But the, 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 the real truth, in, in my opinion, is that um, we need to teach kids to be an expert at something rather than an expert at a wide range of things, right? So I think everyone needs basic math, basic English, and maybe some basic understanding of science, but not a lot. Yeah. Um, STEM, STEM skills. Yeah, STEM, if that's what they called, yeah, STEM skills. They need some of those basics. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, it is, you, you're going to be much more valuable in the marketplace if you're outstanding at something and think of it a little bit like business. There has to be a market for that something. Yeah. Um, uh, but look, I don't know. I can't begin to understand the complexities that the education system must be facing because everybody's different and the world's changing. But I think that there definitely has to be some discussion of it's better to focus sooner as you can. And just diverting a little, I think the other thing Australia should consider is a gap year. I think that gap year concept, which comes out of, I think it's Europe and the US, the gap year is so important uh, at the end of year 12 to ask these kids to go in now not only commit to four years or six or eight years at university, but to put themselves in most cases into a huge amount of debt mm. when they're 12. I mean, I see the kids down here on the Gold Coast partying at schoolies. They don't know who the hell they are. And to put them onto a, 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 into that much debt mm. when they really haven't had a chance to just go and feel the world out for a minute, I think is grossly irresponsible. And, and I think we really need to encourage kids to go and have a break, go and work at McDonald's, go and travel, go and backpack and do you know do whatever they need to do to fund that. But go and embrace the world for a minute and just let the, the world run over them, beat them up a little bit. Um, go and do some charity work. We do charity work in Indonesia for eye surgeries. Go and do some of that and then they'll come home different humans. Absolutely. And I think... I recently interviewed a girl that had visited over 24 countries and she's only 22 and it's incredible and she 100% funded it herself and just worked three, four jobs, didn't go to parties just because that was her clear vision and her level of insight, empathy and resilience that she has for her, she's going through the same studies and she's a local girl here in Australia but her outlook on design, outlook on life is completely different simply as a result of her travel. So I completely agree with you on that one. And um, do you have advice for the educators that are listening on how they can take the next steps towards preparing the future leaders of tomorrow, allowing them to, you know, fail forward, ask questions, make sure that they feel comfortable. Do you have any advice for the, for the teachers and educators of today? 
Oh, look, I mean, I, it, for any teachers and educators watching this, I'd firstly just want to acknowledge them because it's Absolutely. they're underpaid for what they've been charged with. Yeah. Um, and I think that they're do it's it's such noble work that they're doing. So that's the first thing. And I wouldn't presume to to know more than them in so many ways. Um, but I, I really think encouraging children to um, to take chances and and not punishing them for um, not fitting the mold, you know, and 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 not remembering something. And, and look look to see, I think it's really hard when you're in a system that is a, a, a yes or no or a right or wrong. Um, I'm, I've been doing a lot of work recently in learning to be better in a relationship, in an intimate personal relationship, you know. And one of the things that, um, that I've been learning about is, is just seeking to find the good instead of seeking to find the differences, seeking to f see where that kid's talents are. Where and and I'm, I I think for a lot of the empathetic educators they do that anyway, Absolutely. but but really making the space and 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 intervening where they see uh, bullying around ideation, you know, because it's oh yeah you're an idiot yeah see that's dumb you know that sort of stuff sticks with kids. Absolutely, it totally does, and they quickly learn. Do not take a chance. Do not put your hand up unless you know the right answer. And sadly, even if they know the right answer, there's going to be uh, dicks in the class that are going to ridicule them for knowing the right answer too often. So, um, uh, sorry about the. It's a it's a quality it's a quality problem. We got boats going by. That's okay. That one's not too fancy, but um, yeah, uh, you know, just really intervening as as much as they can within the bounds of intervening yeah. when they see psychological uh, damage being done because that's what it is, and um, and 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 make it not okay to. To, to cut people down who are taking I think that's valuable insight and I, I meet a lot of teachers that have that passion they genuinely get into teaching because they care about the students but this but the system crushes that almost yeah. and they have so many other attributes that waste their time they have to actually go through the proper learning at like 10 12 at night time and then wake up and repeat that process because that's the only system that allows for it so I think that's where a lot of change needs to happen and I'm sure the Acknowledgement that you gave is it's shared by me and it's going to come to their heart. And lastly, one of the things I wanted to end with is do you have advice for the younger listeners? So kids that are in high school now, kids that are going to be in university in the next five years who are going to be in the industry in the following few years following that, do you have any advice for them? First of all, give yourself a break because there's so much pressure on you at school to, to, to be right most of the time and to know what you want as soon as you can, yeah. right? There's this pressure there. Have a little faith that who you are will be revealed in time through the natural course of life. Um, so be your own best friend in that regard. And I'm not saying let yourself off the hook of accountability at all, but if it doesn't feel like it's quite fitting for you at the moment, that's okay. It didn't fit for me for the longest time. The best thing about getting older is you start to feel comfortable in your skin. The world starts to make sense slowly. I was a slow learner and it only happened in the last five years that I really feel that I know who I am, what I'm supposed to be doing and all that stuff. So just take that pressure off yourself. Um, try lots of things, right? You, life, for want of a better metaphor, is a boxing match, right? You're going to be in the ring with life. And um, at first, you're going to 
you know, there's two ways you can do it. You can run around the ring and avoid being hit, or you can shape up and say, let's, let's have a go at it. Stand up toe to toe. Yeah. And you are definitely going to get punched in the face. Absolutely. But when I learned boxing, which I did, one of the first thing the coach said to me was, how are you feeling? Just as we're sort of shaping up. I said, oh, he said, you're nervous, right? I'm like, yeah, I'm nervous. And he punched me in the face. And he said, see, it didn't kill his... Yeah, just, just straight punch me in the face, right? Yeah. And in, in a way that he knew wouldn't make me run out. It's more the shock, I believe. It's the shock at first, okay? Because, you know, kids, when they're coming up, their parents, meaning well, uh, protect them from being punched in the face as much as they can. We've all got a mum that's overprotective, right? Doesn't want their little baby boy to be punched, but that's not life. Their job is to protect you long enough to get big enough to sustain the punch, but the punch is coming. So get out there, fail. It's okay to fail. As long as you haven't hedged everybody and you, know, and you haven't done anything bad, it's okay to fail. The punch won't kill you. And then go out and get another punch. And the more punches that you take and the more that you go, great, got the learning, got the learning. I know that move now. I can see that one coming. That's, that's, that's how you get better. And uh, there's no avoiding it. You're either going to run around and avoid it or you're going to lean in and start taking hits and, and, and do basic personal development. Read some books about how your emotions work. Read Anthony Robbins, Awaken the Giant Within and um, the Unlimited Power. And just basic personal development, the old stuff, setting goals with Zig Ziglar. Any of that stuff is great. Um, and just a steady diet of podcasts. Man, podcasts are just the biggest hack in the world for the young people today. The people and the minds that you can get access to and feel like you're sitting at the table with, like you can literally sit at the table with Elon Musk while he gets interviewed by Joe Rogan for three hours as if you were sitting there with them, right? Smoking a joint right along with him, right? You can actually be in on that conversation. When I came up, there was nothing like that. So get into podcasts, feed your mind, and but don't be afraid of failure. That, that would be my biggest thing for kids absolutely perfect mate thank you so much for your time my pleasure hope it uh, helps your audience absolutely absolutely that's it for today folks and if you haven't been inspired enough already jump on to rashansenanayaka.com forward slash podcast to check out the show notes from today's episode and click on the direct links to ch check out the amazing work that adam is doing with reliable education Make sure to connect with him on Instagram and Facebook and deep dive into the amazing world of this man. Learn from him. Like he's actually mentioned, podcasts are an incredible way of learning. You get to sit at the table and access the minds of the best of the best brands and thought leaders. So thank you so much, Adam. And till next time. <music>